You can be seated. It was another day in the office and people are coming and going like usual. All the appliances are functioning, thankfully. And the mail has been delivered on time, which is a miracle. But nothing really seems out of the, out of the ordinary. Your, your boss has been taking appointments all day, and this is a pretty typical thing. Uh, and as usual, his assistant is at his right-hand side. He's taking notes. He's, he's passing on duties. He's offering his points of view on the issues at hand in your summation, he doesn't seem like a really bad guy, just a little weird. You kind of get that, like, kind of unnerved. You kind of got to get the hibbly-jibblies around him, you know. Yeah, but you endure him for the sake of the job. It's a good job. And in the midst of all of the typical happenings, there are two new visitors, which really isn't any different than any other day, but, but, but something strikes you about these. There, there's something different about these two, and you're curious. Perhaps they're potential new employees or, or new clients. Eh, it doesn't really matter. You're not really, that's really above your pay grade. You're not, you're not paid to know those things, and you're just the gatekeeper, and your boss is expecting them. So you usher them in just like you would do any other guest, and you return to your station. And as a typical, you overhear the usual pleasantries, the small talk, the chatter about weather, how they're enjoying the city, asking what local fare they've tried or what restaurants they've, they've, uh, they've eaten at. And then it's down to business, always business. And this is typically the part that you tune out. As you start to walk away, you begin to hear the temperature of the conversation escalate. And you hear one of the guys uh, start shouting at your boss's assistant. In a panic, your, your, first, uh, your first instinct is to assess the situation and then find out how you can bring a solution to the problem before it gets out of the hand. After all, it's what the government pays you to do. And as you enter the room, you see your boss's assistant writhing around on the floor as he's swiping the air with his hands and his eyes are darting back and forth and he has this horrified expression on his face as he's screaming something about the lights. You glance at your boss and then back to the visitors and then to your boss again like, do we need to eject these guys? You're hoping for some type of clue about what just happened and how you handled it. They didn't cover this in orientation. Your boss is visibly unnerved but surprisingly calm as he instructs you to assist the assistant. You grab him by his flailing hand and pull him up and walk out of the room as your boss continues his conversation with his guests. As you lead him out, there are a million questions that are swirling around in your mind, but the one prevailing question of all of them is, how could I have ever prepared for a moment like this? How could I have been ready for this moment? Now, before we get into answering that question, we've got to give you a little bit of context of, of where this story is, has come from and where it's going. And if you, this is your first time with us this morning or uh, whether the weather has kept you away for the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a message series that is digging into world-changing events that began 2,000 years ago that's influence is still rippling in and through us today. 
It has withstood the peaceful and not so peaceful transitions of power between nations, empires, and political rivals. It has withstood scandal, controversy, war, and crusades to eradicate its momentum. It is the unstoppable movement of God's people that we call the church, a group of people who are carrying out the instructions of Jesus passed down by God the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In short, the church thrives when we lean into our unstoppable God. And its beginnings are recorded in the book of Acts in the New Testament in the Bible. And if you've never read the book of Acts before, I know Pastor Mark challenged you guys at the very beginning of this sermon series to read through this book at least three times as we're going through the series. And I wanna encourage you, read along with us. This is probably one of my favorite books throughout the Bible. And, and, and let me tell you why. Um, and, but first off, if you've missed messages, feel free, go back, ecwesleyan.net. You can listen online. Uh, you can kind of get a little bit of perspective and underpinning of where we've been uh, and see a little bit of, uh, of what's been going on so far in the story. But, uh, but one of the reasons I encourage you to read this book is, is because if there's ever a book in the Bible that lends to its legitimacy, I, I believe that it's this book. Um, and, here's, and here's why. It's written by a scholarly investigator who is heralded as one of history's best authors in examples of classic Greek language. It has cross-references all throughout history from extra-biblical sources, historical documents outside the Bible. It is filled with the unfiltered triumphs and trials, ministries and messes, conflicts and confidences of a ragtag group of rebels called Christians who in the shadow of the Roman military machine propagated a love for enemies, the extension of grace to those forgotten by society, and importantly, that God is knowable that you can know God and that he desires us in both relationship and partnership in his mission to rescue a broken world. And if you've already known that, good, awesome. Don't lose that. Keep that in mind because it's going to, it's gonna be something that's gonna help you as we, as we talk about this conversation here, here today. And it's, it's very vital understanding uh, where the story started and, what, and what, we have, what we can do with it. We're gonna jump into this together. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 13, going from verse one through verse 12. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. We're gonna be on page 894 in that Bible. There's also gonna be words up on the screen here too that you can follow along. It's Acts chapter 13, starting in verse one. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Cilicia, then sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was there, was their helper, uh, was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet, prophet named Bar Jesus, who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. 
the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorceress, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who had been called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas. He looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, uh, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. It's interesting. In this passage, we have two things that are going on side by side here. We have a period of preparation and we have a power encounter. And if you've never heard uh, the, the term power encounter before, I, I can't fully unpack all of it and all of its nuances here this morning because we'd be here through Super Bowl Sunday and then some. Um, but uh, if, uh, if you've never heard that, that term before, a power encounter refers to a spiritual conflict. It, it's a moment that, focuses, that forces us to, uh, to recognize that there are intangible elements to life. There's a spiritual component to life and that there is a war that's raging all around us in that realm. It's, it's interesting to note in Western culture, we really don't have a category for this. Um, we don't really have a category for spiritual warfare when we, 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 uh, we categorize things in the, in, the, uh, in the realms of things that we can touch, sense, and feel, and smell, and taste, and you know, we can sense in, the, in those things. Um, but when it comes to things like spiritual warfare, we kind of have these ideas of a spiritual conflict looking like these, these great shows of, of flashes of energy or, or people loudly proclaim, or, or compelling others with, by the power of Christ while whipping crowds with, with suit jackets or, or we, we think of spinning heads spewing pea soup or, or something in, in those, along those lines. We, we think of these encounters requiring blessed crosses or, or, or holy ammunition or, or protective charms of the saints or holy water or holy hand grenades, whatever your, whatever your choice is. Oftentimes, these encounters happen when the message of Jesus is expanding into enemy territory or a region where Satan has held his sway. Several years back, I had the opportunity to sit underneath the, the teaching of Dr. Bill Peed. He's a, he's a professor at Kingswood University in, in, uh, in Sussex, New Brunswick, Canada, and, uh, and also a missionary to the nation of Zambia. Uh, for several years, uh, Dr. Peed spent, uh, spent time in, in Zambia, and he was a real neat guy, a real like, kind of mild-mannered guy. His name is Dr. Bill Peed, Dr. Bill Merrily Peed. Kind of talked a little bit, something like this, but he loved Zambia. Loved Zambia, loved the people of Zambia. Uh, great, godly man, loved the people. But he shared stories of the things that he saw God do, and he saw, he, he saw the, the, the tangible presence of evil. As, as there, were, there were witch doctors who had cursed villages and held this, this powerful sway over, over the influence of what happened in those places. And he talked about how the church would get together and they would go to war over this. Not, 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 a, uh, not war in the, uh, in the sense that we think, not, uh, not battling people, but fighting evil. And they prayed and they fasted and they worshiped. Those were their weapons. 
See, Paul would write later to the church in, Eph- in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, while, while Barnabas and Saul did not know that they would have an encounter like this that was way beyond them, the Holy Spirit knew and he led them to prepare and he led them to this place. But prepare, prepare for what? Well, we all have situations in which there are periods of preparation that we may not fully understand until we're in the midst of the, the, the time that God has prepared us for. I think of uh, several years ago, Bailey and I were, were in between ministries and, uh, and we were in this, this place where we were wondering, you know, God, did you bench us? Did you, are you done with us? Like, we know that you've, you've placed this calling in our life, but, but what does that look like? What does that mean? And, and, uh, and seeing in hindsight, having the benefit of hindsight, that those were very healing times and those were very restoring times that God used in order to, to grow us and ready us for the ministry that he was calling us to here in Eau Claire. And so when we look at, we have to look at, uh, at, at number one, the uh, preparations provision. So what does preparation do? What, is, what does it do? Well, preparation, it, it, gives us, it gives us direction. When we don't know what to do, we go to God. When we don't know the direction to take, we take time away to ask him, what does he want? What is, what's the leading that he has? What's his way? What's the best way forward? I don't know about you, but I am terrible when I don't have directions. I do not operate well in an arena where I have no idea what's going on. And sometimes it's, it's and all the time, it's really good to step back and, and, and take some time to listen. What has God already said? What do I know to be true based on what he said? How do I operate within that? And preparation, these periods of preparation, they also give you uh, letter B, wisdom. Scripture is, is full of, 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 of passages and proverbs that talk about wisdom. Actually, the book of Proverbs describes uh, uh, wisdom as, as, a, as a woman that's, that's walking through the streets, the streets and, and proclaiming, you know, seek wisdom above all else. Gain wisdom. It will help you so much. It will keep you from death. It will keep you from pain. Find wisdom. And the psalmist would write that the fear of the Lord the reverence for, for God is the beginning of wisdom. And when we have that wisdom and he gives us direction, we have a little bit of a better perspective on what we then do with that. And there's also letter C, power. Now, when we think about power, oftentimes we think about control, the, the ability that we have to control a situation. And that's, that's not what we're talking about in the context of, of this passage here. There are actually two main things there are two main things that, that God does uh, in his power uh, through this as he, uh, as he readies Saul and Barnabas for the ministry that, that he had for them. Uh, thing number one is, is bondage broken through truth. Bondage broken through truth. John uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 32 uh, says this, to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings and you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This place, this place that, that Saul and Barnabas were, 
was under extreme spiritual bondage. There's, a, uh, there's an analogy that, that J.R.R. Tolkien draws from this passage that he uses in, uh, in his trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. There's a, there's a character uh, in, in one of the books named Grima Wormtongue. And as his name would suggest, Grima's words are poison. They are, they are poison to anyone who hears them. He has sway over people who listen to, to his voice and, and he has the ear of King Theoden, a powerful ruler who becomes impotent at his words. His power is gone. And as the fellowship comes in and, and there's bondage that's broken and his strength is restored to him, kind of like this situation and where, where Paul and, and, and Barnabas, they come into this place and, and God delivers this place from the sway of evil. There are, there are spiritual strongholds that, that take place and, and they take root in our lives. Sometimes they come about by, by things that are, 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 are our own actions. Maybe they're, they are addictions. They're things that, that we've kind of gotten ourselves into that we are powerless to get ourselves out of. Sometimes they are their wounds that, that come about by something that somebody has done to us or something that, something that somebody has said to us. There are, there are things that, that control us based on, on, uh, on what we've experienced. And, and God has this desire for each of us to be free in his presence, to be free uh, by, by the truth of, of what he says about you and I. Did you know that there are several pieces of scripture all throughout the Bible that talk about what God has to say about you? And they're all spectacular things. Did you know that in Christ that you are a new creation, that the old is gone and that the new is come? Do you know that in, in Christ that yes, you have an enemy, the devil, but he can't touch you because you are hidden in Christ and God? Did, did you know that, that, that you are no, no longer a sinner, but you are a saint saved by grace when you're in relationship with him? Did you know that you are more than a conqueror in him? And that's just a couple but the truth of those things sets us free because of the second power that's involved here as well. It's not just truth for truth's sake, it's the authority in Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, not some authority, not bits and pieces, but all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. All authority, the authority of the heavens and the earth have been given to Jesus. Did you know? This is another one of those things. Man, I could talk a month of Sundays on this. You, when you are in a relationship with God, there's a term for that that's a covenantal relationship. And in a covenantal relationship with your covenant partner, you not only share things like a name, we call ourselves Christians and he calls us our friend, that we share strengths, that, that, that God gives his, he imparts his strength to us by his Holy Spirit and, and we live and move and have our being in him. That, that all of the resources of heaven are available to us in Christ. 
as we submit ourselves to him? Did you know that you have that kind of covenant partner, that there's that kind of authority that's available for you in Christ? And there's exceptional freedom and there's exceptional joy and life in that authority. And it's not authority for our sake to be able to lord that over other people, but to bring rescue and restoration into a world that desperately needs it. You may be the clearest picture of Jesus that somebody else gets to see. So walk in the confidence that you do not walk alone in that because Jesus actually finishes this passage out and says, and surely to the very end of the age, I am with you. There's an authority in Jesus. The other thing that preparation does is it, it readies us for the moments we least expect. Oftentimes, we, we look at our circumstances and we look at uh, maybe it's something that we have to do. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a conversation. We, we ask, oh, God, you know, would you, would you lead this conversation? Would you prepare this conversation? Those are great prayers, but the, the thing that we forget to pray in the midst of that is, God, prepare me for you. Prepare me for what you want to do, not only in me, but through me as well. It's no mistake that there are many times that when Jesus is sharing a story, he, he asks the listener to consider themselves, makes statements like, he who has ears, let him hear. See, preparation says, God, prepare me for you. And so back to our, our story in Acts, when, when Saul, who's called Paul for the first time in this passage, uh, and Barnabas, they arrive at Paphos, they are immediately met by the sorcerer. He called himself Bar-Jesus, or the son of Jesus. He was, he was, trying, to, he was trying to piggyback off of the, poly, the, uh, the, uh, the popularity of Jesus' movement, making a mockery of Jesus by leveraging his name and practicing his sorcery and manipulating people through his craft. He held this significant political office and he knew that if these two showed up and if their message was heard that it was game over for him that they would shut him down and what's really what's really interesting about this is that that this uh that that this type of thing when 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 satan has control in an area he always overplays his hand he always makes it really obvious that he's in the midst of that. Like, have you ever played like a board game or a card game with somebody where like when they get the thing in their hand, like they're just, they're playing this like meta game of like trying to psych you out, trying to get, get you to like question your confidence or trying to get you to, to question what you're able to do within it. That's kind of what he does. But his territory is threatened and he cannot win against Jesus. And what happens next is not a show of the strength of, 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 of Paul or Barnabas, but what God can do when we are ready and willing to be used by him. Remember that they were, remember where they were before they got to this point, before this encounter. They were praying and fasting and worshiping God. And while this is not an exhaustive list of the things that God can use to prepare us, 
These are the practices of preparation. They ready us. They're, they're, they're kind of an action step. They kind of answer the question of what should I do? What should I do in preparation? If I'm, if I'm really wanting God to move in me, what do I do pr- to prepare for that movement? Well, thing number one is prayer. Acknowledging it is our acknowledgement of the need for God's presence. Pastor, Pastor Mark had, uh, had shared a, an incredible sermon last week about intercessory prayer. I'd really encourage you, go back, listen to it if you didn't have a chance to. But here's, here's the thing. No movement of God, no movement of God happens without prayer envisioning, leading, and guiding that movement. And I would add also sustaining that movement as well. So we need to pray in preparation. It's also letter B, fasting. Fasting is a reliance on and a petition for God's sustaining power. And and as we read all sorts of things in scripture about fasting, there are all sorts of different types of fasts. There are uh, fasts for a certain period of time for a specific purpose or to remove distractions. Basically in fasting, we take something, whether it's food or an activity or time, and we set that, that apart saying, God, I know that these are things that I rely on. And I rely on these things to sustain me. And what I really need is to be sustained by you. And I need to be empowered by you to move in the way that you would have me move. And then C is worship. Worship is kind of one of those funny things because when we think worship, we think music. But it's not all about the music. Now, music is great. I love music and I love worshiping through music. But there's more to worship than that. Again, I, this is another one of those things I could talk a month of Sundays on, but I won't because uh, you probably are hungry right now. Um, but the word worship literally means to attribute worth some, to something or, or to give value to something. To, it's, the word means worth-ship. And, and it is a recognition of who God is in the way that we live, in the way that we respond, in our attitudes, and yes, in our songs as well. If you notice this morning, everything that we sang this morning, everything that we sang came back to the character, the qualities of Jesus. That we're, we're exclaiming those things as a way of remembering who he is, acknowledging who he is, acknowledging his character, and, and, and kind of joining along, along with the angels in heaven who are singing things like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he's honored by that. Like, how cool is that to think of that? Like, that the God of the universe, like, if we truly believe that God is who he says he is, that we get to be a part of a, of a chorus of song to him, and he likes it. He really likes it. It blows my mind. Like, I never want to lose the wonder of that. I never want to lose the wonder of what we get to do when we worship together. But not only, not only is, is worship in recognition of who God is, but worship draws lines in the sand in spiritual warfare. Worship is, is kind of like carrying a flag into enemy territory and jamming it into the ground saying, this ground right here is no longer enemy territory. This ground right here is Jesus' ground. And in worship, we stand our ground against powers and against principalities, against the enemy of this world. 
and we stand and we fight through praise and worship. It is a declaration of our allegiance. It is a declaration of who our allegiance is to. In Dr. Peed's stories of these encounters in Zambia, he shared how incredible freedom was won through prayer and fasting and relentless praise to the point where, where even the witch doctors renounced their ways and surrendered themselves to Jesus and his love because they could not stand, they could not stand against his power. They were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed by what God was doing in their midst. Now I know that sometimes when we, when we tell stories about that, it's easy to think of, well that's over there. That's over in that culture. We're a civilized, scientific, Western culture. We don't, we don't have, you know, we don't have those things happen here, oh no. Um, let me bring this home a little bit. Around 2004, my, I had a, a great friend, his name is Ryan Brocious. Um, and uh, in about 2004, his mom, Wendy, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, this was like my second mom. And the day that we received the news, I was, I was at his house, and, and Wendy and Tom uh, had come in. Tom was Wendy's husband, and came in, and they shared the diagnosis with Ryan and I. I'll never forget Ryan's response. He said, praise the Lord. My response, I punched him. He explained that he had been reading through the book of Job and how God had allowed Job's faith to be tested and his response was simply this, should we not praise God in both the good and the bad? Isn't he still Lord? Over the next few months, Ryan, myself, and a handful of friends got together to hold what we called worship war nights. During these evenings, we would cry out to God in song and in a thanksgiving and a prayer for each other and with a singular focus on seeing God glorified in spite of the circumstances. After a few months in college semesters, I, was, I had dropped by to visit with Ryan during a break. And as I arrived, Ryan came flying out of the house with what looked like a dead animal on his head. It was his mom's wig had met an unfortunate curling iron accident. Um, but she had worn it during her cancer treatment. And in celebration, he cut it into a, the worst 1980s mullet-style haircut that I have ever seen. And to this day, I still have that wig. But he got four words out before we both burst into tears. Cancer's gone. Jesus wins. You see, this is what can happen in the practices of preparation when we discover the posture in which God can do in us and through us the most extraordinary things. And this is what happened was not a result of Ryan or myself or our power or our abilities or anything like that, but because God himself moved in the circumstances. But in this we discovered Number three, the posture of preparation cultivates a desperation for God. A desperation for God. As friends, I don't know about you, but there are times that I run up against circumstances that seem hopeless to me, that I have no power to do anything in those situations. 
And I have to remember what Paul would also write, that he said that God's grace was sufficient for him in his struggle, and his power was made perfect in our weaknesses. You see, desperation for God's movement and preparation cause us to be ready, and the practices keep us steady for when God says, go. I want to have the, the worship team close us out here with a song called, Lord, I, I Need You. And maybe, maybe for you today, you find yourself in circumstances that you really don't know what the next step is. And in, and in these circumstances, God wants to do something in you today. But maybe there's a season of preparation that you need to enter into. And remember, it begins with prayer and fasting and worship. And, and in a second here, I want to invite you, if, if, you want to, if you want to pray or pray together with, with some people, I want to encourage you to, to come up and, and, uh, and take some time uh, in prayer up front here and we'll, we'll have some people that will come and, and pray with you. Maybe there are, there are things that are, are, are areas of bondage that as we talked about those things, you recognize, you know what? There are things that I know that are barriers that are holding me back. I know that there are things that are obstacles, there are wounds, there are hurts, there's damage that's been done that the enemy is using to, to control you or to keep you in a place where, where, you are, where you are powerless to do anything. I want to tell you that God can set you free today, here, now. The flag is in the sand. This is Jesus' ground. I also want to in, invite our, our connect group leaders. We, are, we have a season of connect groups that's beginning that God has done extraordinary things in and through this last fall. And I believe that God wants to continue to do those things. I want to invite them up as well to pray. We're going to pray for them too this morning. So we believe, we believe that nothing good happens without prayer and these times of preparation. And God is going to do extraordinary things, not because of us, but because we know that we need him in the midst of that. Let's stand together. Now I'm going to say a word of prayer and we're going to worship together and, uh, and, and then join us in prayer too. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray this morning that, uh, that you would, that you would give hope, that you would give, give peace and strength and you would do what only you can do here this morning. God, we need you with a desperation would you meet with us here today? We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.